0: As Brian mentioned last week, we're working through a topical series during these six weeks because sometimes it is good to look at Scripture in a systematic way, surveying all of God's Word to understand the fullness of what God has to say about certain topics and realities. So that's what we're doing in this series. In this series in particular, we're examining the identity and purpose of the church. Why is it important for us to be sure of our identity and purpose? Well, to start, I'm convinced of what the Bible makes clear that Every human being on the face of this planet is on a lifelong search to discover a satisfying sense of self and worth, identity and purpose. Who am I? What is the value of my life? Am I of any worth? To anyone? These are the questions our hearts long for. Now, the irony in today's Western culture, especially right here in America, is that more and more people believe that we define the answers to those questions from within. They are to be self determined, discovered from within. And upon careful reflection or experience, it becomes clear or will become clear that this theory is also fleeting. Why? Because no matter how hard you try to define your own identity and purpose, it will have to be recognized by others in order to be validated. That's important. Think about this. Consider observations as you navigate through the world around us. You see all kinds of groups of of people in society, whether old or young, filled with with authentic individuals. People who pride themselves in being authentic, self-made, expressive, Individualists to the max. And yet, they all look the same. They speak similarly. Hmm? That's because recognition is the key that locks in your sense of identity and purpose. We all need recognition. So, who are your others? Who are your cheerleaders? Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. If you're under 25, get to know the classics. That's a classic. Who is your community whom you rely on to validate your identity and meaning in this life? Your coworkers? Friends, family, schoolmates, club members, your political party, social groups, your followers online, your post-recipients. Now, here's the kicker. Anyone you name is just as lost as you are. They're on the same search, subject to change at all times with the changing seasons and the ebbs and flows of life. In other words, the search for identity and purpose in this world is ultimately meaningless. It will never prove to be sufficient stable, and all-satisfying. It's fleeting. Unless, unless you find another who does not change. Amen? Who is not affected by the changing tides of life circumstances and the world around us. And there is only one our creator god himself it's only when we find our recognition from god that we find our true and complete identity what we were made for amen i know i'm jumping right in the deep end this morning the ushers will be passing around coffee just put your hand up if it, i'm joking what's <laughs> like Family, I I, I felt the need to start there to orient us proper this morning and in this series to mark the starting point that we look to God in his word to define our identity and purpose. The late great Tim Keller once said, identity is received, not achieved. That's what we're talking about here. So we look to God in His Word for our definition and clarity. Last week, Brian helped us survey the Scriptures to see that we are God's church. God's beloved saints whom He calls out of the world of darkness and into His marvelous light, into His eternally secure family. We are His. He is ours. We are Christians redeemed by the blood of Christ Jesus and given a new name. Our identity is secure and all-satisfying in Him, together as His church. Amen? You get that? Our recognition is from God and one another in His Word. We've entitled our series, The Church on Mission, which in itself encompasses our identity, and purpose, our role in the world. Today, I want to answer the question, what is the mission of the church? And we're going to look at the relationship between our identity and purpose in Christ. There are many paths that I could take in answering this question, what is the mission of the church? And I'm going to take a unique approach that I didn't didn't plan for originally, but it just kind of unfolded as I was studying and seeking the Lord on this, a unique approach, starting with the big picture, picture. and then we're going to zoom in step by step to try to understand our role on mission together. We're going to do this by taking three big steps in this work, looking at the identification of our mission. Where does it come from? The definition of our mission, what is it exactly? The description of our mission. What does it look like practically lived out? Okay, identification, definition, and description of our mission. Three sermons in one, the ushers will be coming around with lunch. Put your hands up if you need one sec. Sorry guys, they keep standing up. Praise God for our ushers. Thank you guys, (laughs) servants of the church. I'm going to pray, and then the ushers will come out and, and pass around Bibles. You can put your hand up if, you, if you'd like to have a Bible in hand. Join me in a word of prayer before we get started. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. You have the words of eternal life. Everything, including ourselves, was made by you, from you, for you. Lord, so would you show us more and more of your glory the truth of who you are, that we would understand the truth and fullness of reality of who we are, who you've made us to be, and especially us, your beloved saints, Lord. Help us find great security in our identity and purpose in this world in you. Fill us with your joy. Help us to see and behold marvelous things from your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers of around Bibles, put your hand up if you'd like to have one in hand. So, first, the identification of our mission. Where does it come from? The mission of the church does not start with the church, it starts with God. What is He doing? What is His mission? This is the grand story, the meta-narrative of the Bible. That God, in His sovereign love, has purposed to rescue, redeem, and reconcile humanity and all of His creation back to Himself. Especially the apple of His eye, His church the universal community of saints, justified by faith in him, his glorious worshiping community, this we saw last week. He chooses us out of all the world to be his. The story of God's redemptive mission spans the entire Bible from Genesis 3 at the beginning of our Bibles, at the fall of humanity and the curse upon all creation, all the way to the very end, Revelation 22, at the end of the curse and the entrance into fullness of blessing in the new creation. The climax of the story, the person and work of Jesus. This is the grand narrative of the Bible, Revelation, The the mission of God, accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, is what leads the nations of Genesis 11, in conflict with each other, to united worship with one voice and one heart in Revelation 7, at the end. Revelation 7 and 22, at the end of our Bibles, depict the goal of God's mission. Namely, everlasting worship in perfect, loving, holy union with God and one another from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's beautiful. Go home and check out the beauty of Revelation 7-9 and Revelation twenty one twenty two. That's the end. That's the goal of God's mission. This is what God has been doing, is doing, and will complete. Now, this is important to know because the mission of the church, our mission, is derived from the mission of God. And we're going to see this. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he prays to God his Father. And this prayer is recorded for us in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. It's really important to notice what's happening in this prayer. So let's look at John 17, briefly. And what I've done here is I've just kind of chopped it up a little bit to, to highlight uh, some of the main points of what I want to draw your attention to in Jesus' high priestly prayer here. John 17 says, When Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And then he goes on to say, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Then at the end of John's Gospel, right after Jesus resurrects from the dead, He appears to His disciples and says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, so now I send you. And then He breathed on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. What we see here, very clearly, is that Jesus extends his mission to his disciples, the church. He extends the work that he accomplished to the church to carry out in the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, let's consider this very word, mission. When we say he extends his mission. For those who may not know this, this word is actually nowhere in the Bible explicitly mentioned. What it what it what it's derived from, what it comes from, is the Latin word missio, which is a summary of all that we see in Scripture, which means to send. What is abundantly clear from all of Scripture is that God is a sending God. He's a sending God. Think about it. You can go through all scripture looking at this. He calls Abraham in. And sends him out, go be a blessing. I will bless the nations through you. Moses calls him in, sends him out, go lead my people toward my promise. To name just a couple. Then ultimately, God so loves the world, he sends his only son. And then he and his son send the Holy Spirit to send the church. You see? The mission of the church falls within the bigger picture of what God is doing. That's important that we see that. It doesn't start with us, starts with God. What is he doing? That's identification. The mission of the church is derived from the mission of God. Now, the question remains, what are we, the church, sent to do? Let's look at the definition of our mission, which is found explicitly stated at the end of all four Gospels and at the beginning of the book of Acts. Five places, all the very last words of Jesus. You don't need to flip here because I'm just going to briefly. It's important that we see all of these briefly uh, because sometimes we only hear one or two and it's nice to get a, a full view of, of the the commission passages, okay? There are five places, all the very last words of Jesus to his disciples before he departs and ascends into heaven. Before we look at them, it's important that we know that's really important. These are his last words, the final words to his church. In a sense, these are our marching orders given to us from the time of his first coming and active until the time of his second coming when he returns. We find ourselves somewhere right here, still active. And we understand this. We understand how this works. It's similar to when you parents go out on a date or out for the evening and you leave your children with the babysitter. And as you walk out the door, you look back and you tell your kids, we're coming back. In a little bit, while we're gone, play nice and don't ask for candy. I'm gonna find out, because we're coming back soon. That's all I ask of you. Play nice, don't ask for candy, okay? Love you, see you soon. We get this. Jesus leaves us with one primary task before he left. Let's look at this one task now, represented with slight variations at the end of all four Gospels and the beginning of Acts. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of Mark's Gospel. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The end of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. We just saw John's Gospel. Remember the end of that? Jesus reveals himself, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, receive the Holy Spirit. Now lastly, the beginning of Acts. Jesus says, final words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All five places. These are all his final words to his disciples. Notice some overlapping. Go. Be my my witnesses. Proclaim the gospel. I am with you you can already see the connection between our identity and purpose. I've called you. You are my witnesses now. That is who you are. Now go do this. In other words, what we do flows out of who we are. That's important. That's really important. We'll we'll unpack that more in a little bit. So when we try to define clearly the mission of the church, here it is. It's defined for us, often referred to as the Great Commission, and often referencing Matthew's gospel, what we first saw, likely because there we have the most comprehensive summary of all the elements of our mission. Go, make disciples, all the nations, baptizing, teaching, observe, all that I commanded you, I am with you. The mission of the church, defined explicitly from Scripture, is clear and sufficient. That is why our mission at Riverstone is essentially a rewording of this Great Commission. Because it's timeless. That is, up until Christ returns, it's timeless. We exist as a local church, Riverstone to advance the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. That's our mission statement. That's our purpose here together. Now, today, I'd like to take us one step further. Maybe you've heard some of that before. Maybe you've you've heard the Great Commission before, maybe it's new to you, connected to the mission of God, that's really helpful, that's important, maybe all this is new to you, maybe you've heard both of these things before. Today, I want to take us one step further. What does this look like practically for all of us? All of us. If this is the mission of the church, and we're all members of the church, then we all share this same mission and purpose. It's not designated solely for pastors or missionaries and church staff. This is for all of us. So what does the mission of the church look like in the life of a Christian? You, me, and us. Let's now look at a description of our mission laid out in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 12. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So you can open your books, track with us. We'll have the scripture up on, up on the screen. A description of our mission. In this letter and passage here, written by the Apostle Paul, Paul is defending himself from opposing leaders working their way through the church in Corinth. They're trying to discredit him. Don't listen to him. He's not who he says he is. He's no apostle. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And what he does is he's presenting throughout the book, but specifically in these chapters right here, He's presenting the marks of what a genuine Christian on mission looks like for himself as an apostle and for Christians in general. He's saying, where you see these things, you see true Christians on mission. So let's take a look. Let's just read the first verse. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He says, we have this ministry by the glorious mercy of God. This ministry is defined in several places from chapters 3 through 5, very clearly. But I'm just going to touch on one. The clearest definition is in the next chapter, 5. Paul says... All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to Himself. Is that clear? Actually, it doesn't get any more clearer than that. That one verse summarizes everything we've discussed so far. God's mission... Our mission, God reconciling the world back to himself, us, his agents of reconciliation. Our ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, we have this ministry by God's glorious mercy, therefore, we do not lose heart. We persevere. First mark of a Christian on mission. Not because we have inner grit and determination, but because this ministry consists of forgiveness, transformation, God's glory, His Spirit. The final verses of chapter 3, literally the, 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 the verse right before this verse, Paul says, We all, with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Glory, glory, and more glory. The fruit of our ministry is also the fuel. God's glory. It's the beginning and the end of our mission and family this is for all of us all of us christians when we give ourselves to god's mission work it will be exhausting it will be discouraging at times you're going to be tempted to give up many do many get burned hurt Throw in the towel. It'll be exhausting. Paul says, don't give up. Look to him. Look at what he's done for you. He wants to show others through you. That's what he's saying. First mark of a Christian, perseverance. Look at verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, second mark here, we are to be men and women of integrity, true faithfulness. We don't misuse God's word for our own purposes. That's what he's saying. We don't misuse God's word to advance our own agendas, to support our own opinions. There's a lot of that out there. We do not preach or teach to make names for ourselves, to make disciples of us, to build our own kingdoms. Paul calls these bullies super apostles in chapter 11 or so they claim there's a lot of that out there too and the fruit of arrogance misusing God's word is devastating you see it you hear about it all too often it's devastating Lord help us we speak God's truth in reliance on the Holy Spirit and He does the rest. We have a responsibility. He has a responsibility. We speak. He does the word work. That's how this works. Our consciences are clear in everyone's con- before every man and ultimately in the sight of God how we use His word and speak His truth. The church on mission consists of Christians persevering in faithfulness and integrity. Again, here in the first two verses, we can see the alignment of practicing truth and speaking truth. Being a witness to the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. You see that? On mission in word and deed. Let's move on, verses three through six. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful passage. A bit gloomy, and yet glorious. First look at verse 5. Paul makes it very clear that what we present to others... The truth that we present is the truth of Jesus. That's what we speak. We proclaim Him, that Jesus is Lord. We do not preach ourselves. We do not preach politics. We do not preach for or against social positions and political agendas. We preach Christ, Christ crucified. Family, I cannot tell you the weight upon pastors today being told how much more we must preach. What more we must preach. It can be overwhelming. This is is not Riverstone. I'm talking about at large. The demands of the things expected us to preach. That is not Jesus That's not the mission of the church. Sure, sure, of course it's helpful to talk about the implications of the gospel on our lives and on our role in the world in all spheres of society. We're doing it right now. But Paul says Christians on true mission preach Jesus as Lord. That's also the most powerful political statement anyone can make. That's a political statement that Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. We speak gospel in the midst of our dark day. Why? Because it's light, it's good news. By proclamation here, Paul is not merely talking about or thinking about preaching pastors. This word means to herald, to announce. What are we heralding? The good news of Jesus. We announce in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of interactions with all kinds of people, what God has done to redeem us, to usher in salvation through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. We announce that Jesus is Lord, and therefore we have hope. That's what we announce. You struggling with the state of affairs? I have good news for you. You struggling with feeling rejected, oppressed, neglected? I have good news for you. You alone, depressed, anxiety? I have good news for you. You've done well in life and still unsatisfied? I have good news for you. We have the hope of new life, everlasting life, satisfaction and true security in Jesus, amen? Christians, let your light shine. The light of the glory of the gospel. When you show and share the hope of the gospel, you radiate that which God has illuminated in you. That's what he's saying. We're not talking about merely intellectual debates and reasoning with others. There's a place for that. We're talking about something far more excellent, far more beautiful, this is new creation. Let there be light. Look at verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's creation account Genesis 1, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is not merely rational knowledge and reasoning. This is the knowledge of light. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. This is a work that is from glory to glory to glory. Light, light, and more light. Can you see that? It's beautiful. This is the mission of God in and through his church. It's beautiful. Jonathan Edwards, an American revivalist in the early 18th century, actually buried in Princeton. When I I thought about quoting him here, I was actually writing the sermon in the Princeton Library looking at his tombstone over out, outside the windows there if you want to visit uh it's actually a, an amazing cemetery jonathan edwards american revivalist 18th century wrote a preached a sermon in 1734 called a divine and supernatural light it's amazing he describes this knowledge of light this way he says this knowledge is that which is above all others sweet and joyful Men have a great deal of pleasure in human knowledge, in studies of natural things, but this is nothing to that joy which arises from this divine light shining into the soul. This light gives a view of those things that are immensely the most exquisitely beautiful and capable of delighting the eye of the understanding. This spiritual light is the dawning of the light of glory in the heart. There is nothing so powerful as this to support persons in affliction and to give the mind peace and brightness in this stormy and dark world. Just last night, my wife and I started watching The Chosen. I know a lot of you like that show. Uh, we, um, we just started watching The Chosen this week and, and uh, at, the, at the very end of the episode that we watched just last night, Thomas is stunned by a miracle he just saw Jesus do it, and he's speechless. And, and the girl next to him says, What's the matter with you? And he says, I'm just thinking. I'm trying to make sense of what I just saw. And she says, Thomas, maybe you should stop thinking for once in your life. That's what we're talking about to a certain degree here. This is that knowledge won't suffice. This knowledge is the knowledge of true beauty. It requires a breakthrough in the heart. Every true Christian is a new creation. Anyone who comes to believe in the gospel of Jesus, God looks down from heaven and says, "Let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light." It's beautiful. And then, as he fills us with light, he shines his light through us, he sends us out to be his light in the dark world and draw others in. Have you ever experienced that most glorious joy to share Jesus with someone and you see a flicker of light, a flicker of hope, in the back of their eye. You can see it. You can actually see a spark. They brighten, then you brighten, as you see them brighten, as as more and more God is revealing His glory to the both of you. It's beautiful. Ask the youth group. They'll tell you about it. They'll tell you about their experience in Holland. What it did to their faith to see dark hearts illuminate before their eyes. Hear their stories. It's the most satisfying work on the face of the earth. Go get it. Jesus says, go. And family, we can only share with others that which we have first tasted ourselves. That's it. We can't share anything more. Is he precious to you? Is he precious to you? Is knowing God sweet like honey to you? Amen. Or is he merely a rational conclusion? Jonathan Edwards says. There is a big difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. So too, there is a big difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. Do you truly know him? Come, he says, I do not turn anyone away. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you the taste of true delight. Come to Jesus. Call out to him. Believe and receive the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, everlasting life. Let your senses be awakened to heights you've never experienced before. Come, join us at his Thanksgiving feast which never ends. It never ends. We're feasting right now. And don't let the gloom dishearten you. Paul says, some will not be able to see the light because they are blinded by Satan. Hearts and minds polluted with earthly things. But take heart. God has triumphed over Satan. His power is incomparable. He can, make a, he can awaken faith at any time and make any man or woman see. At any time. Pray. Pray for God's intervention. I myself am proof of that. I was drowning in pollution. As blind as could be. I myself am the fruit of a loving mother's fervent prayers for 10 years. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Share the hope of the gospel. Shine the light of the gospel. Persevere with integrity. Final point here. Paul said in verse 5, notice the second part here. We proclaim Jesus as Lord with ourselves. As your servants, for Jesus' sake, again here, word and deed, proclamation and service. Let's close out here, verses 7 through 12. It's important that we see this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Death is at work in us, but life in you. That's beautiful. So that the life of Jesus would be manifested in us. Twice he says that. This is so important. We've seen our responsibility on mission is to persevere with integrity, proclaiming the gospel. And here Paul highlights the importance of demonstrating the gospel. In humility, weakness, and sacrifice. He says, we have this treasure, the light of the gospel, in jars of clay, our weak bodies. To show that the surpassing power of the gospel that lifts us up out of our suffering, death, and decay does not come from us, but truly from God. Thank you, Jesus. You are the only one who makes sense and gives value to our weaknesses. Oh, how we long for that affirmation. He's the only one that brings value to our brokenness. You can never be disqualified. The weaker you are, the more opportunity you have for God's glory to shine through you. Family, This is how we verify the truth of the gospel that we proclaim, by demonstrating it in our selfless, sacrificial love, the love of Jesus. Amen? We die to ourselves in service to others. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There is an incredible amount of physical and emotional pain involved in God's ministry of reconciliation. Being on mission is costly because love is costly. We do not lose heart because God first demonstrated his love toward us, amen, through the death of his innocent son. Lest we be mistaken, God wants us to know This is not a path of doom and gloom. Oh no, he took that for us. This is the path toward fullness of joy. Do you trust him? Death cultivates life. His death for our life. Now our death in service to him for the sake of His light and life to spread throughout the whole world to the glory of God. Amen? Do you see that? The mission of God through the mission of the church? And this starts with every one of us in each one of our spheres of influence as we scatter from here and together in the community around us. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. So that's the mission of the church. Put as simply as possible. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Pray that the Spirit would empower you with zeal like that. As simple as possible. We proclaim and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Our mission consists of who we are, what we say, And what we do, this is true, all-satisfying identity and purpose. Do you want in? Let's pray. Father, you are so, so good. Lord, we look to you. Thank you for setting your special love upon us, calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light, O God. Bless us, keep us be gracious to us continually. Make your face to shine upon us that through us your ways would be made known in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our communities, to the ends of the earth, we pray. And for those among us here who hear your word and, 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 and long for the hope of everlasting life, the hope of glory to be illuminated in us, Lord. Awaken faith. Unveil our eyes to see and behold your beauty today. Fill us up, O God, with light and life. Send us out as agents of peace and reconciliation. Bold as lions, gentle as lambs. May God be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.